This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. So one of the things that have happened to me and my wife is that uh, like 20-something years ago, we took out a life insurance policy. And as you get older, you, you, you don't think about it when you take a life insurance policy out in your 20s and you think, eh, it's a, it's a 20 or 25-year term. You don't realize that how quickly that term comes to an end. And so we had to uh, take out a new life insurance policy, which means then that I had to have a visit by a nurse who would measure my vital signs, my health signs, as it were. So she came by the house, she took blood so that the blood could go to the labs and it could be tested for everything under the sun. She uh, measured my heart and took my blood pressure. She measured my height, which is not much, and uh, took my weight and asked me a bunch of questions. And all of these questions and tests are there to get a picture of my health. And the picture of my health will then be assessed by the insurance company, and they're going to decide how much of a risk I am to keel over in the next 10 years, because that's basically what they're figuring out, right? And so everything was good. Everything was good. All the numbers came good. Everything was great, except one thing, BMI body max index. It's the measurement of your height versus your weight and where you need to be. And they have this table. And in the table, you know, I'm not like a competitive person, right? Anyway, so have this table, and on the bottom left is green, right? And that's like, you're really healthy and good. Well done. Bottom left is green, and then it goes into shades of orange and then red. And in the top right-hand corner is like dark death red, right? Dark death red. Now, I'm a vertically challenged person who has been blessed with a somewhat thick and stout body. So my BMI is like, I'm on the border of dying, according to my BMI. (laughs) And I'm looking at the weight they want me to be to be in the green. I'm like, I am never, I I was four when I was that weight. (laughs) If you want me to be that weight, I'm going to have to starve myself. You're going to have to take me on a stretcher and put me on the... I'll be dead anyway from starvation. Ridiculous. So it got me thinking, we have all these measures, height, weight, blood pressure, cholesterol, BMI, all these measures we have out there to determine the health of an individual physically. I wonder if there is such a thing that you can do a means of measuring your condition spiritually, a means that you can measure your condition when it comes to your relationship with God and how you're living out your faith in Christ as a believer in Christ, in Jesus. How do I stand? Do I measure church attendance? Do I measure how much time I pray? Do I, do I measure how much Bible I know and how much I read? Do I measure the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control, faithfulness, perseverance? All those characteristics contained in the Bible that says this is what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. Now, in 
pursuit of those questions, I, I came across something that may be shocking. The words of Jesus and what Jesus said in the course of his teaching in life, what Jesus said was a measure of a person's spiritual life, a measure of a person's status before God, a measure of how they are when it comes to their health in their walk with God. And Jesus said, if you want to know where a man's heart is, look where his treasure is. Jesus said, if you want to measure spiritual status of a person, look to how they operate with money, their view on earning it, their view on spending it, their view on what they believe about it. Jesus would not necessarily look at our Bible journals to determine our spiritual health. Jesus would look at our checkbook entries and our credit card statements. He would look at our bank ledger. Jesus would look to money. I heard of a preacher who put it this way. He said, you know, when it comes to money, we have one of two choices regarding how money works in our life. He said, either money is a tool or it is a drug. There's no in-between, really. A tool or a drug. As a tool, money is a means of exchange, right? We, we, trend, we, we exchange the value of our work, our life work. Our life is exchanged into money so that we can have a means of exchange to purchase things that give us life. Money as a tool is a way in which we pay our bills. It's a way which we feed our family. It's a way which we enjoy life and go on vacation. That's money as a tool. But money can also be a drug, we can get to the point where we, we, we place our identity in having money, and it feeds as a drug does into an illusion about how we are in life. It, it makes us feel like we are not hurting. It makes us feel like we're in control. It distorts our reality regarding who we are and how we're to operate in the world, and we, we begin to seek the hit of having money more and more because it's a buzz like a drug that, that makes us feel better about ourselves. It gives us purpose. It gives us direction and helps us feel like we have significance in this world, and our voice is, is heard and respected as we think it should be. Money can be a drug. It's interesting that the Bible writers knew all about this, money being a drug. Apostle Paul says this regarding money being a drug. He says, the love of money, let me find it here. My computer is not working according to plan. <laughs> it says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is an addiction that alters reality so that you feel as if you are a god. Now, the biblical language regarding this whole thing is that in the Bible, we find out that money can either be a servant or an idol to be worshipped. A servant or an idol. And in Scripture, what we find is that Scripture teaches us that God is the giver of all good gifts. God is the owner of all the resources of this life. And we who are his children ought to be his managers, his representation. But we all struggle with that because in this world, we're tempted to believe that we are the owner and God is our manager. 
And so we work hard, and I say I work hard, and I, and I want to hold on to my money to use it for what I think I need to use it for so I can have life and happiness and, and have the pursuit of, of things that I want to do. And, and so money belongs to me, and God, and we may not say this overtly, but we say it in our practice, God better work on my behalf in providing me my health and wealth because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do for Him, providing me health and wealth so that I can continue to have the money that belongs to me to use for my purposes. And in this practice, we have this temptation to believe that we are the owners. We are the owners of our stuff to be used for us, and God, He better work out as our manager and representative in helping us with that. But Scripture points to the truth that He is the owner. God is the owner, the creator of all things, and that we are His managers, and that in order to have money in its right place so that it no longer becomes a drug that destroys us, we need to keep it as a tool or a servant, and it's in the service of God that money goes to work. And what we find in the Bible is that God gives us a practice, a way, by which we might learn this truth as we follow Him. It's very simple. It's called the commitment to tithing. And here's how tithing works. Tithing works this way. It's a, tithe literally means 10%. And so tithing works this way. If you have 10 cents that you earn, you give the first cent, the first 10, to God. And the purpose of this is, is very simple. When you give the first ascent to God, the first 10, it reminds you that God is the owner and you are the managers, which then orientates your life towards working with the nine that you have not given to God, really reminding you that it all belongs to Him, and using that nine to honor God in life. Tithing. The commitment to give the first 10% of your gross income to honor God, to be reminded that you are the manager and God is the owner. Practice to keep money in its rightful place, a tool, not a drug. Now, we're first introduced to the concept of tithing to God in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's the first part of the Bible. The Old Testament's a story of how God calls a people, a specific people, to be His own, to serve as an example for all the world to see of what it looks like to live for God in this world, so that as an example, God can execute His plan to bring the Savior of the world from that people who would then set up the church, who will be now the new Israel, the new people, from all tribes and languages, from all peoples, who will then now live for Him. God introduced this concept of tithing to the people of Israel. Hey, by the way, know that your kids in elementary uh, church right now in Kid City are starting to look at that story, uh, starting to look at the story of, of God calling His people out of Egypt. They're in slavery in Egypt. Moses led them across, you know, the parting of the Dead Sea and all that stuff. They're talking about that right now. They're talking about that time where God calls His people to settle in the land of Israel, the promised land, so that they might abide by His will and by His Word, living out by the, we call it the law of God, but it's really the communications of God on how to live for Him. And in those communications, we have this lesson about tithing. 
And what we can see as people who now have come to faith through the Messiah, Jesus, what we can look to now is to look back at what God teaches on that, and now we can apply it to our lives because what we have here is what it looks like to live for God, and tithing is part of what it means to live for God. Why? Because tithing teaches us that God is what? The owner, and we are His managers. Now, what's very interesting is, as I've done my research, is I've discovered some stuff about tithing that I didn't know, and that's always great. I, I just love pouring the Scriptures and finding out, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I went to Bible college. Why did I pay tuition? They didn't tell me. No, uh, you know, but I'm taught a bunch of things. So there are three aspects of the tithe. The people of Israel called to tithe to give their first 10% to God to honor Him, and there are three, three aspects to that. In the book of Numbers, chapter 18, verse 24, what we discover is that one of the purposes of the tithe was to support the Levites. The Levites. Levites from the tribe of Levi. Their primary task was to serve God by ministering to the people. Aaron, who was the brother of Moses, was of the tribe of Levi. From the descendants of Aaron came the priests that offered sacrifice in the place that God designated, first a tent called the tabernacle, next a temple. But in all of this, the Levites gave themselves to serving God. Part of that calling meant that they weren't given land in the promised land. They weren't given land in the land of Canaan, which meant because it was an agricultural society, they were unable to to take care of themselves. They were unable to get food and, and, and provisions to live. And so God said, hey, part of the task of the people of Israel is for you to give so that you might support the Levites who have given themselves to rely on me and give their entire life to serve you on my behalf. And so Numbers 18, 24, instead, he said, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. That is why I said concerning them, they will have no inheritance among the Israelites. No inheritance among the Israelites means they have no land like all the other tribes did. But instead, they rely on the tithes given to God. They are paid, if you'd like, to serve God full time. Now, this is the basis by which we as a church today now say, well, that's why we have ministers or pastors who are called by the church to serve full-time in ministry. Why, this is, since we've got this model of the Levites, now we can apply the same principle to us as a church, and we can pay ministers or pastors who give themselves full-time to the ministry of the church, and they are supported by the tithes and offerings of the community of faith that they serve. That's where we get that. Second aspect of the tithe. Now, this is something that struck me, and this is the scripture that I'm including for us to follow along. It's in the bulletin. It's going to be up on the screen. But this, to me, just was like one of those, oh, wow, I, I, I never knew this. Here we go. But it makes sense. Deuteronomy 14.22. Now, listen to this. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. So we got it, right? Tenth, first 10%, give it to God. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place He will choose as a dwelling for His name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. <laughs> so let me, let me pack this for you. You take your 10%, 
You like that? Clippy-clop. Anyway, take the 10%. You go to the, to the place where God designates, the, the temple or the tabernacle. And when you do that, what does he say you do with that 10%? You eat it in the presence of God. You have a feast. You have a feast celebrating God's goodness. You have a feast reminding, being reminded that God is the owner and you are his manager and that he asks you to give that one coin, one, one penny out of the 10 so that you might celebrate his provision and may honor him with the nine coins in ways that, that are consistent with his will and his word. It's a, an attitude reorientation. See, a lot of times people think of, of tithing like a tax. You know, oh, it's my church tax. I have to pay, right? Two things in life, death and taxes. Well, two, three things if you're a Christian, right? Death, taxes, and the preacher's going to ask for tithing, right? Uh. <laughs> this is nowhere close to that. God says, hey, people come, gather in my presence, and celebrate my provision by you eating the tithe in my pre- as, a, as a worship, as a celebration. See, giving is to invoke joy and worship of God. Just an aside, you know, because of this, this principle, this is why I have short prayers at meals. You know, people always tease me, oh, let's have Didi pray, because he's like, thank you, Lord, for the food, amen, let's eat, you know. And here's why. And people, I don't know, mean to be sacrilegious, but I'm thinking, wait a minute. God has blessed us with this provision. I don't think He wants me to talk for 10 minutes thanking Him while the food gets cold because He gave us... I'm a dad. If I cook a meal for my kids, I don't want them telling me thank you for 10 minutes while the, the things are getting cold. Plus, I'm hungry. I'm not like, <laughs> quiet, let's eat, right? I think our Father in heaven's the same way. He's given us this provision, and you capture in this scripture exactly what, what I'm talking about. He's like, come into my presence and, and enjoy the tithe so that you can be reminded that I am the owner and you are my managers, and it's a joy to serve. It's a joy to serve me. It brings life. The second part the third aspect of the tithe is really an extension of this concept of supporting the Levites, and it just takes it a bit further. Tithe was to be given so that those who are marginalized on the fringes of society, those who were in, in dire need, could be helped. Again, Deuteronomy 14, 28. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year and shall deposit it in your town. The Levite, here we go, Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, people that are not even belonging to, you, to your people group, the orphan and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. The tithe was intended to be a means by which those who were suffering could be ministered to in the name of God. It was an act of generosity and benevolence by the people of God. Now, it's not exactly how the tithe, not clear exactly how the tithe was collected, but scholars estimate that actually Israelites, in all the things that they were asked to give, Israelites gave about 20 to 23 percent of their income to honor God. And I know that starts people thinking, oh, okay, Didi's off the money. <laughs> you know, he wants a pay raise and all that junk. No, look, <laughs> here's the issue. 
while the, the how and the what are important, and we need to talk about the specifics and how that works in our lives and how that translates in our financial decisions. Yes, those are important. What I think we need to remember is this. The why is most important of all. The purpose is all what we need to look to. What is the purpose of this practice? The purpose of this practice was to remind the people of God that you are the managers and God is the owner. When you give me the one cent out of the 10 that I bless you with, you are reminded that the truth is that I am the owner of everything. And in honoring me with the one cent in tithing, your mind and your orientation is that money is a tool and it's a tool to be used for the purposes of God. The nine cents ought to be used to honor me as well. Whether you give it away more, whether you use it to bless your family, whether you do it to, to, earn a li to, to make a living, whatever you do, it's, it's to honor me. See, God is after our hearts, not our money. But where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And so tithing is a training practice in honoring God as the owner. And the purpose is to keep us who follow God in the right place when it comes to our attitudes regarding money, regarding our financial practices, to keep us to the place where we keep money a tool to use for the owner, God, and not a drug, an idol that consumes us and destroys us. It's a measure of what we worship. If we commit to loving God and loving people, then our money practices need to reflect that, will reflect that. And what we see is that the three purposes of the tithe given to the people of Israel really translates to the practices that we do as a church. We gather once a week and we receive the gifts and offerings of those who are honoring God in giving. And that money is collected to do what? To, to facilitate the ministry of the church. And for us specifically at Mount Carmel, facilitate the ministry of, of the church at Mount Carmel that meets here to, to facilitate, to resource the ministries that we're called to do, loving God, loving people. I mean, we see this picture in, in the book of Acts, description of the first church. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. We might say, there was a revival going on. Well, what did the revival look like? Was it a song service? No. What, where? God was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed, those of you like me to say that, it was distributed to anyone who had need. The church gave to support the ministry work of the church, just as the Israelites were called to give to support the, the work of the ministry of the Levites, the church of Jesus Christ is called to support the ministers and the ministries of the church. We also give so that we might celebrate God's goodness. Paul told the Corinthian church, he was collecting up an offering. He was traveling, he was outside of Israel, and he wanted to return to Jerusalem to visit the church there, the, the, the original church that was there. 
At the time, there was a massive famine that, that was debilitating that entire region. But Paul thought, you know what? These folks are suffering. Let me get an offering collected by the non-Jewish church, churches that I'm working with, collect up an offering to go and minister to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. So he was getting this offering together, and he was inviting the Corinthians to do that. This is where he says, God loves a cheerful giver. He's like, I don't want you to give out of compulsion because the purpose is not to see it as a tax, but the purpose of it is to see an opportunity to see joy in the lives of people, to give them hope, to provide an opportunity for them to clap their hands and bring tears to their eyes and say, praise God for His goodness. So he tells the Corinthians, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, hey, there's a practical thing that you're doing here, but it is also what? Overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. It's an opportunity to evoke joy and worship. And finally, we, we give so we might help those in need in the name of Jesus. The ministry of the church includes benevolence to the needy, the aliens, the orphans, and widows among us in whatever form they take. John was getting at this when he says in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Here it is. This is what it looks like. If anyone, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, the implication is if you've got stuff, if you've got something to give, but you see someone in need and you don't act on it, how can the love of God be in that person? The church gives so that we might minister to those in need. I'm going to close with this. It's an insight based on an article that I read written by a man named Jim Nicoderm. Nicoderm observed on CNN, the big story, I believe it was in 2012, there was a massive rally apparently in Atlanta where a bunch of young people, young Christians gathered together. And the purpose of their gathering was to proclaim their faith, but in proclaiming their faith, their purpose was to really address the issue of human trafficking, sex trafficking that was going on in the world. And CNN was so impressed that these, these, these young people were not only singing praises to God, but more importantly, they were, they were opening up their, their wallets and their purses, and they were making donations, putting their money where their mouth is in many ways, giving money to the cause. They wanted to raise a million dollars. And so in the, in the video version of the story, they show a, a young woman opening up a purse and taking in a $50 bill, and she gives it to the cause. And they show, you know, graphics of, of $50 going towards this, this cause, and it was amazing. So bear with me now. Let's, let's enter into some imaginative work. Let's imagine two young people. Let's imagine two young people. First one is a 27-year-old young man named Luke. Luke attends this rally. He's motivated by what happens there. Luke works but he spends his money on what 27-year-olds spend their money on, right? Paying off student debts, paying on the car, Starbucks. Luke, Luke still lives in the basement of his mom's house, so he, you know, he pays for his clothes and, and, and entertainment and stuff that he wants to do. Luke's at this rally. He's a good kid. He's at this rally. He's motivated. He whips out his 50 bucks, and he gives it, and CNN says, whoa, whoa, wow. Now let's imagine another young man, his name's Jason. Jason's not there. He couldn't make it to the rally. 
But Jason has committed himself to tithing. He's part of a local congregation where he serves. He serves as a small group leader for second graders. He earns $36,000 a year, which means he gives $3,600 a year to the church, which is about $300 a month. His faithfulness in giving means that his gift is collected with the gifts of the church, and they go to pay for the children's minister, where she gives her life full-time to facilitating children's ministry where children are introduced to Jesus Christ. Parents are supported in that discipleship, in that training, but there are events that, where young people are, are come to, to learn about God and to learn about Christ and to learn about the Bible. His giving also is used for local mission. Church sent a mission team in the summer to Houston where 11 families were provided the opportunity to get back into their house after the floods had devastated everything. His giving also goes to finance the building that they meet in because, you know, the lights are on, people need AC and uh, people need, you know, insurance for property and all the things that go into maintaining the building. The building is seen as, as a, is not the church by the view of the, the church that meets there. It's seen as a, a tool to be used for ministry. And one of the ministry pieces is that they uh, bring in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and NA, Narcotics Anonymous, that meet there every week. And in meeting there every week, individuals who are bound by addiction are led out through their 12-step programs to freedom. $300 a month goes to pool with the work of the church that affects not just local community, but gets translated into international community where individuals are ministered to through mission partners in Pakistan and Italy and Vanuatu. Who has the most effect in bringing out good? Well, there's no doubt about it in my view. It's the tither. Why? Because the tither has submitted his life to the truth that God is the owner and I'm his manager. And then a giving the one penny out of the ten that I have earned or been blessed with and giving the one penny, I'm reminded, I'm trained in the truth that God is the owner and I'm his manager, which means then that the nine is also really his and I'm looking forward to using that in investing, as Jesus said, in things of heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. See, tithing is a training in learning that God is the owner and I am his manager. See, Jesus said our righteousness needs to be greater than the Pharisees. And then the Pharisees were like the dudes when it came to religious piety in Jesus' time. And they were tithers. They tithed on everything. I mean, they were ridiculously tithing. They tithed on every little thing that they considered was produce. But the problem was is they were all about the how and the what, and their how and the what really pointed to a why. Their why was we wanted to prove to everyone that we are uh, superior in our status when it comes to following God. And Jesus dinged them on it and said, no, 
you forget exactly what God's purpose was in tithing. It was not about the how and why so much. That's important. But it was more about, more about the how and what, but it was about the why, the purpose. And the purpose was to, to train you to learn that God is the owner and you are the managers. God is the owner and you are the managers. And that all that you are blessed with are God's way of entrusting you as his child, as his servant, as his manager, entrusting you to be part of his work in this world. Opportunities for you as his child to be a part of the family business that he's about in this world. So, what does your checkbook say? about your heart? What does your financial practices say about your faith? What do your credit card statements say about what you believe regarding God and about stuff and about your relationship with it? Is money the tool for His purposes or is it the drug We're going to close by prayer. I'm going to ask uh, our guys who are here to be available to pray with you in person. Let's see. All right. They're mixing it up on me. They came opposite. They were on opposite sides this first service, and they're trying to mess with me. Bob and Ron, let's stand and pray together. Is Adam here? Adam? 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 Adam Dixon? No? All right. We'll pray together. Lord, thanks so much for this time where we can share and this time where we can be together. I pray that you would just speak to us uh, from your word, that you would help us uh, understand your intent regarding this practice of tithing. Uh, Jesus spoke about money more than pretty much anything. Uh, if you look at the volume of words and comments regarding money, it's, uh, it's pretty obvious that Jesus understood that money is a significant indicator of our status, of our, our health when it comes to uh, worshiping and honoring you. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be open to the Spirit, where we struggle, where we haven't, where we're in financial difficulties in our practice. Help us be patient. This is a growth thing. And sometimes the most best thing we can do is just do one step at a time, one percent at a time, uh, one uh, commitment at a time. Uh, as we grow, sometimes it may be just making the decision, okay, uh, I'm going to uh, just make that decision right now, that first thing I do with what I'm earning uh, is honor God. Uh, I pray that you just guide us and help us through that and bless us. Thanks so much for the faithfulness of many that are here that uh, give and honor you uh, and help uh, the ministry uh, Mount Carmel and in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.